From the DMZ to the NATO front, this is CRN. Hello, and welcome to the Kirshner Files. Kirshner Files. This is episode 26. I am your host. <laughs> so, I don't know. I'm kind of giddy. Uh, spring is coming. We, we had close to 60 some odd degrees today in uh, my urban hellscape in uh, central Ohio. And um, <laughs> John Jeffers and I are getting booted off of YouTube. Uh, he notified me this morning that I had two episodes of my other show, The Kirshner File. No, the Dave Kirshner Lightning Round. I had two episodes get booted off of YouTube because the, uh, the community standard Nazis <laughs> that got fired or quit from Twitter probably landed at YouTube and he told me the episode numbers and I was like, oh yeah, that makes sense. <laughs> so episode 163 of the lightning round, my most recent episode that I posted yesterday got booted because I spoke at length about the potato and, uh, and, and COVID. <laughs> they're still operating under the guise or the principle of draconian law and rule and silencing anybody with a contrarian opinion about the origins of COVID being the Wuhan lab in China and the efficacy of the vaccines and the safety uh well, the lack of safety in the vaccines that are killing people. <laughs> and so they they booted my episode. So uh, he and I uh, spent some time on the phone yesterday and texting again this morning. Um, so we've started uploading. We, we created two new, well, I created two channels for my two shows. And he created a channel for the Contra Radio Network. So uh, in addition to being able to get our shows from or get my shows, I should say, from my website at davidjkirshner.com. There's menu. You can go find them on the menu. They're all over the place. The, the, I have a page for the Lightning Round. I have a page for this show in um, the Kirshner Files, which is my midweek preparedness show. Uh, you can find all that stuff there under the podcast menu. Uh, there's even a menu option there for archive if you want to go all the way back to 2021 when I just had the one show. Uh, for those of you that are just finding me for the first time on Rumble, uh, I had one show for the last three years, two, two and a half, three years. Uh, and it was called the Dave Kirshner Lightning Round. And what I tried to do was address both current events and preparedness self-sufficiency topics. 
but I found that I was getting too wound up and worked up during the current events portion of the show that I ran out of time to cover the preparedness and self-sufficiency topics. So uh, I created a new show when I came out of my summer break uh, to, to basically split the two uh, topics into two distinct shows. So the Kirshner Files, which is this uh, podcast, covers all things preparedness and self-sufficiency. It could be anything from hunting, fishing, gardening to um, landscaping, homesteading, uh, whatever. Medicinal gardens, etc. Uh, I've written two. Uh, oh, I'll take it back. I've written three nonfiction books. One is a cookbook, which pretty much got me started into podcasting and becoming aware of where my food comes from. Uh, I wrote that with a friend of mine named Scott Bowles. He's a uh, an executive chef um, at a number of five-star restaurants, or used to be before he retired. And uh, so we have a, a, a book called Just a Small Gathering. And it's all about taking the fear out of hosting small or medium-sized events with friends and family. We provide menus, uh, wine pairings, and the whole bit. And then, um, as I was writing a five-part fictional post-apocalyptic dystopian series, I started collecting um, uh, recipes for home remedies, poultices, salves, and tinctures. So, I wrote a book titled... Exactly that. Home remedies, poultices, salves, and tinctures. It's available on Amazon. It's selling quite well. And I also took all of the knowledge that I had gained, even from my childhood, uh, as a Boy Scout and just a rambunctious child living in the woods, basically, because you weren't allowed in the house unless it was time for dinner or bed. <laughs> Welcome to the 70s! Uh, and that book is called Preparing to Prepare. A General Guide to Self-Sufficiency and Preparedness, or something to that effect. It's a long title. Anyway, that's available on, on Amazon as well, and it's selling quite well. The five-part fictional book series uh, basically takes us from uh, the origins being the cookbook. Uh, it takes us from um, uh, USDA and EPA finally getting their heads out of their rear ends and, and, and banning... Uh, GMOs and cloud seeding and and the like and then it you know we have an EMP we have financial collapse we have uh, socialist dictators usurping the presidency and it, it spans pretty much the first three books take place within just a couple years uh, and then uh, when I get into book four I jump forward 20 years uh, of life in the U.S. without power due to uh, a series of EMPs and um, and what that looks like. So uh, that's where the two new nonfiction books came from in Home Remedies, Poultices, Saps, and Tinctures, and Preparing to Prepare. So I hope you pick up a copy. Um, I think you're going to enjoy them. And uh, so I typically start the show with a shout out to Survival Realty. I have no affiliation with them whatsoever. They don't pay me. They don't even know I exist. But this is a preparedness show. So uh, I provide uh, information on land for sale, homes, uh, large tracts of land uh, for people that are looking to uh, get out of their urban hellscape, like myself. And uh, so I provide that. I provide uh, uh 
some regional gun show information. So I've I've got a, a, a page on my website again, davidjkirshner.com. You can go to resources and uh, go into the gun shows uh, page there, and it'll pull up every state broken down by region. Of, of course, there are eight of them. We have New England, the Mideast, the Southeast, Midwest, Great Lakes, Southwest, uh, Rocky Mountains, and the West Coast. And then after I get through all of that, uh, I delve into some preparedness topics. Uh, usually it's seasonally based, so now we're coming into spring, so a lot of the stuff I'm going to cover today deals with gardening uh, and, and companion planting. We're going to talk about Dutch ovens. We're going to talk about um, uh, what is it? The um, uh, canning, Dutch ovens, companion planting. Oh, we're going to talk about um, nature's signs that tell you when it's safe to go plant certain uh, garden items. So uh, we're going to talk about that as well. So hold on to your butts because here we go. Alright, so first things first, like I said, this is episode 26 of the Kirshner Files. We are in the middle of week 163 of the illegitimate, fraudulently elected, ding-dongs, tyrannical reign. And we have 250 days until the next presidential election. Gold is currently trading at $2,034.79. And silver has dropped a tad, and it is down to $22.49 per ounce. So, let's get into Survival Realty. They've got uh, three featured properties that I may have mentioned previously, but they've reposted. We have uh, 587 acres uh, with defensible ridges and streams and spectacular views in Williamsburg, Kentucky, for a cool... $3 million. Woo! That hurts. We've got a 44-acre homestead in the Missouri Ozarks in uh, Warsaw, Missouri for basically $500,000. We've got a 73-acre homestead, uh, off-grid homestead in Santa, Idaho for $1.5 million. And this one came up, which I thought was interesting. It was, it actually came up uh, a week or two ago. And it is a 112-acre bug-out farm in Old Fort, North Carolina. And it is 112 acres. And it is $1.4 million. And I'm going to go look up where that is on Google Maps. Because I've never heard of Old Fort, North Carolina. And Old Fort, North Carolina is, uh, looks like, just east of Black Mountain. So you're still in the foothills of the Appalachian Mountain Range. Um, mm, let's call it uh, 15 miles from Asheville, east of Asheville. So there you go. You're up in the mountain range there. Got a little altitude. Uh, looks like it backs up to the... Um, Yuwari National Forest, maybe. Uh, they're not giving me any names. Anyway, Pisca National Forest, my apologies. Um, so you've got, uh, that's not a bad area to be, to be honest with you. All right, let's move over to gun shows. We're going to do the southeast today. I'm sorry, the southwest. 
We did the Southeast last week. So let's get started. In Arizona, we've got uh, three this, what day is today? The 27th? Yeah, three this weekend. We've got, um, I take that back, we got four. We've got the Santan Gun Show at the Big Ten Cotton Gin in Santan Valley, Arizona. We've got the Cottonwood Collectibles and Firearms Show in Verde Valley Fairgrounds and Cottonwood, Arizona. I've actually been to Cottonwood. It's nice. Uh, we've got the Crossroads Tucson Gun Show in Pima County Fairgrounds in Tucson, Arizona. And lastly, we've got Murphy's Yuma Gun Show in the Yuma County Fairgrounds in Yuma, Arizona. All right, moving over to New Mexico. We have one, two this weekend. Uh, one is the 505 Productions Roswell Gun Show at the Roswell Convention and Civic Center in Roswell, New Mexico. And we have one in called the High Desert Gun Show at the Grant County Veterans Memorial Business and Conference Center in Silver City, New Mexico. All right, going to Oklahoma. I don't know why they consider Oklahoma to be the Southwest, but we'll give it to them. Uh, we've got a three-day gun show. It's Xander's three-day gun show at the Washington County Fairgrounds in Fayetteville, Arkansas. So that's just over the border. We've got the Oklahoma Gun Show at the Oklahoma Expo at the OKC Fairgrounds in Oklahoma City. We've got the Wichita Falls Gun Show at the J.S. Bridwell Agriculture Center in Wichita Falls, Texas. So that, again, is just on the other side of the border. And uh, lastly, we have Texas. And there, Texas is a big old honking state. We've got one, two, three, four... 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 11 gun shows in Texas. Oh my goodness. We've got a three-day gun show at the San Antonio um, gun, it's called the San Antonio Gun Show at the Al Safar Shriners in San Antonio. We've got another one, the Firearms Auction at Vought Auction, I don't know, Vought Auction Galleries in San Antonio. We've got the Belton Gun Show in Cadence Bank Center in Belton, Texas. we got the Waxahachie Gun Show in, I don't know if I'm even saying it right, Waxahachie Civic Center in Waxahachie, Texas. <laughs> it, Waxahachie is what it looks like. Um, we got the Orange Gun Show at the Orange County Convention and Expo Center in Orange, Texas. Uh, the Derider Gun Show at Beauregard Parish Fairgrounds in Derider, Louisiana. So that's just over the border. We've got the Brazoria Heritage Foundation Gun and Outdoor Show at the Brazoria Civic Center Complex in Brazoria, Texas. The Buffalo Lions Club Gun Show at the Buffalo Civic Center in Buffalo, Texas. Pasadena Gun and Knife Show at the Pasadena Gu uh, Convention Center in Pasadena, Texas. The Sulphur Springs Gun and Knife Show at the Hopkins Civic Center in Sulphur Springs, Texas. Wichita Falls Gun Show at the J.S. Bridwell Agriculture Center. We already said that one, so looks like there was only 10. All right, so that covers all the gun shows. Now let's get into some preparedness topics. <laughs> First thing I want to talk about is uh, some canning, and I have um, 
couple resources, but uh, I prefer water bath canning. I find it it's safer. This year, I'm looking to diversify my knowledge base and get into pressure canning. That being said, there are reasons for pressure canning versus uh, water bath. So if you have something that's low acid or low acidic foods, those you need to do in a pressure canner. Usually they, they come up with meats, things of that nature, proteins to be, eh, to be fair. So we're talking about things like broth. That could be bone broth. That could be chicken broth. It could be beef broth. Broth needs to be water or uh, uh, pressure canned. Anything that is meat and poultry needs to be pressure canned as well. Along with beans, vegetables, uh, fish items, you can have a fish broth as well, as well as uh, soups and chilies. They need to be in a pressure canner. Now your your acidic foods, you're fine to put those into a water bath. Those are going to be things like jellies and jams, pie fillings. Pickles and relishes, salsas, tomato sauces, whether that's uh, an actual, if it, if it doesn't have meat, you can put it in a water bath. But if you make a meat sauce, you got to pressure can it. And this could be all forms of tomatoes, whether that's, a, like I said, a salsa or it's whole peeled tomatoes or diced tomatoes. Uh, anything like that you can put into a, a water bath. I did find an article on... Uh, what is this? Self-sufficient projects. Uh, it's titled "Foods That Are Safe to Preserve in a Water Bath," and it. I'm only providing it because it gives you another um, <clears throat> set of food groups that can be used in a water bath. And they start off with applesauce. Uh, we covered relishes, uh, pickled vegetables, berries and cherries, pie filling, fruit preserves tomato sauce and this is the one that got me and this was kind of the reason I grabbed it because they have juice and they rattle off about uh, looks like six eleven juices that uh, you know I don't typically do this but some people might want to know this information so I I flagged this uh, email just so I could talk about it so the juices that this author presents which doesn't have a name is Tomato juice, pineapple juice, pear nectar, peach nectar, grapefruit juice, grape juice, cranberry juice, blackberry cordial, apricot nectar, and apple juice. You can also uh, use a water bath for canning peaches. So that's what I wanted to tell you about canning. Differences between low acidic and acidic foods and why you need one versus the other. So low acidic, that's your broth. Your, your meats, your poultries, your fishes, your beans, your vegetables, soups and chilies, you can put those in a pressure canner. But uh, high acidic foods, anything dealing with fruits, pickled vegetables, relishes, salsas, tomatoes, pie fillings, these things can all be done in a water bath. So in addition to all of the fruit juices that I just uh, rattled off. So, all right, next. Alright, so the next thing that I wanted to talk about was uh, something that my wife and I picked up. Um, it, it's, it's something that I always wanted, and it's a, an enameled Dutch oven. I've always wanted one. 
I don't know why, probably because I think it's going to be easier to clean up. <laughs> I don't have to constantly re-season it. Um, so we were, we were out and about on a date night, and we happened to go by a store called Sur La Table. And when we walked in, there was a big display of the uh, um, uh, La Crusette enameled Dutch ovens and cookware. And they were having a sale. Basically, uh, they normally charge about $450 for an enameled Dutch oven. Uh, and they were having a sale on the one that I had been eyeing for some time, trying to figure out and justify that cost. And they happened to have it on sale. So instead of $450, $30, whatever, it was on, the sale, on sale for $275. So I bought it, and I have not been disappointed with it. I have other Dutch ovens that I use uh, from time to time, uh, particularly when I'm camping. Oh, and by the way, I'm supposed to be on a quail hunting trip this week. Um, I should be on the coast of North Carolina, but I'm not, because the person at the hunting lodge who was in charge of documenting the various members' reservations made a mistake. And they sent out one email for last weekend and one email for this weekend, but didn't tell the guy actually making the reservation that the actual documentation on the schedule was last weekend. So he didn't line up the cooks. He didn't line up the food. So it got torpedoed. And uh, come to find out that the person in charge of the schedule had screwed up another reservation from another member so the quail hunting trip that I was supposed to be on this week has been moved to the end of March. So uh, it'll be a little bit warmer. The weather will be a little more predictable. So uh, there'll be no interruptions to my podcast this week uh, because the quail hunting trip got moved. So <laughs> lucky you guys, right? Um, but anyway, back to the Dutch ovens. And I had, like I said, I'd been eyeing an enameled Dutch oven for a long, long time, but I just could never justify the price. And then I found it basically at half off, roughly. And I was like, all right, I'm going to do it. And my wife was like, it's your money, it's up to you. And I'm like, I'm going to do it. And so I did a little comparison shopping. Um, you know, if you don't buy an enameled Dutch oven, you can get them for 100 bucks or less. All right, so you're going to have to deal with the seasoning and the reseasoning after use and cleaning and all of that stuff. And you can get, you know, you can go to the Loge website and and get a, you know, a comparable size Dutch oven. I got the six and three quarter uh, quart, uh, kind of a shallow Dutch oven because I wanted to use it more for for, you know, one pot meals for for baking type stuff. As opposed to, say, the, the deeper ones that aren't quite as wide, um, that are similar size, six quart. So I, I got this one on purpose. And I have not been disappointed with it. But for, for comparison purposes, if you go to the Loge website and you go look at their selection of enameled Dutch ovens, they're comparably priced. So this one here that I'm looking at is a six-quart enameled cast iron Dutch oven. Um, 
And they come in a variety of colors, and they're $300 on the Loge website, L-O-D-G-E, Loge. Um, so they're comp comparably priced if you want an enameled Dutch oven. So I, I wanted to throw that out there. However, um, I've been trying to load a recipe that we cooked in this, and it's uh, a chicken thigh roast. And it is absolutely delicious. And I've been trying to load it up on my website, but hopefully it, it finally shows up there. It's just sitting there spinning for right now. But to give you an idea of, uh, I mean, and the reason I we did this, because we had a package of chicken thighs in the freezer that I wanted to use. So uh, basically you preheat the oven to 350 degrees, season the chicken all over, and add a quarter teaspoon uh, salt, and I'm sorry, you season it with salt and pepper, Put a, put a little bit of, of a tablespoon of olive oil in your enameled Dutch oven. Um, put it on your stove, let the, uh, let the oil heat up, and then you're going to brown the chicken uh, five minutes on one side, three minutes on the other. Uh, then you're going to pull it. You're going to add the uh, bacon, garlic, and onions and stir for five to ten minutes until the onions are softened. Then you're going to add thyme, bay leaves, celery, carrots, and mushrooms, and stir that for two to four minutes. Then you're going to add some red skin potatoes and can stir those to coat the potatoes with the flavors and the oil uh, that's already in the in the pot. Then you're going to add uh, two cups of chicken stock, and then you're going to put your chicken thighs back in, skin side up. You're going to re-season the chicken thighs with some more salt and pepper, and you're going to cook it in your oven, lid on for an hour at uh, 375 degrees, and then you're going to remove the lid and let it cook for another 30 minutes. Cook it until your chicken reaches 165 degrees. And it is absolutely delicious. Dutch ovens, I don't know how they do it. I don't understand the the chemistry and the physics behind it but they cook meals in a different way so with us coming out of winter and getting ready to start uh, spring plantings and and what have you if you do not know how to cook in a dutch oven whether that's over a campfire in an actual oven on your stovetop however uh you need to you i mean you cook it in charcoal and at uh, on your grill if you want to um, if you don't know how to cook in a Dutch oven if you don't know how to clean and reseason a Dutch oven this is a very easy skill set to pick up so I would recommend that you go go get one and try it out and figure out some things about the Dutch ovens what works best um, you know there are some do's and don'ts about the Dutch ovens in terms of, you know, you really probably don't want to be cooking tomato sauces in a Dutch oven. Uh, you want to do like one pot meals. You want to do pie fillings. You want to do uh, cobblers. I remember that from when I was a Boy Scout. We would have um, some form of like an apple or a cherry cobbler in the Dutch oven that was cooked basically on the campfire. So, and I, and I think that's why Dutch, Dutch ovens resonate with me so much is because of the, my childhood memories and just really enjoying the food that was cooked in these Dutch ovens. So, uh, but I do have a resource for you. Um, the uh, uh, there's a gentleman out there who's basically created a website. 
That's the web URL is DutchOvenDude.com, and he has put together a website that is all about Dutch ovens, how to cook, how to, you know, different recipes, how to clean them. Uh, he's got, you know, Dutch oven care in terms of seasoning, cleaning, storing, fixing, Dutch oven advice in terms of how to, you know, different heat settings, measurements. Uh, he's got a, a, a cookbook. He's got recipes all over here. So go to uh, DutchOvenDude.com and, and read about various Dutch ovens. Um, he's got the website up, but it doesn't look like he's had um, any kind of comments since 2015. Or, well, no, he's got one here as new as 2021. Uh, it looks like it's, got, it's been sorted oldest to, to newest. Um, but there's all kinds of stuff in here, and it is a pretty robust... Uh, a website in terms of being able to find recipes. He's got everything from apple crisp to beef goulash and chicken creole to egg foo young and curry beef rice and, you know, dill potato wedges. I mean, this guy cooks in a Dutch oven all the time. And he's got recipes like you wouldn't believe. And, and I've tried a number of them and they are absolutely delicious. And the guy definitely knows what he's talking about. So go to DutchOvenDude.com and just search around. Pick up a, a, a regular cast iron Dutch oven and learn how to cook on it, learn how to cook in it, learn how to cook over a variety of heat sources, whether that's your stovetop in your oven on charcoal or over an open fire, and, and which is basically charcoal again, but it's not actual you know, charbroiled briquettes, you know, that's what I'm getting at. So learn how to use a Dutch oven. It's a very easy skill set to pick up and your family is going to absolutely love it. So if I can ever get this stupid recipe to load, um, it'll be on my website under, um, um, oh, where did it go? It's going to be on my website under uh, recipes, random yummies. Random Yummies is a sub-menu on that one, so just click on that, scroll to the bottom. It'll be there. Hopefully, it'll load sometime today. All right? So that's Dutch Ovens. All right, I got two more topics. Uh, they're both dealing with uh, gardening. Uh, one is, uh, well, the first one I'm going to cover is planting based on nature's signs. And... They're pretty easy, uh, they're, and it's pretty applicable to most of the cold hardiness zones in the United States. And uh, what I found, and, and what this person had put up, um, I, I just thought it was interesting, and I, and I wanted to bring it to your attention. Maybe this is an interesting thing for you. You might want to try it out. But, so, based off of the, the blooms of four different things, that will tell you when it's safe to start planting certain vegetables and crops. So for example, when the crocus blooms, it's safe to plant radish, parsnips, and spinach. When the forsythia bloom, that's a generally a sign that it's okay to plant peas, onion sets, and lettuce. When the daffodils bloom, you can start looking to plant half-hearty vegetables, including beets, carrots, and chard. Uh, 
And then when the dandelions start blooming, you can plant your potatoes. So those are four things that nature gives you as a sign that tells you when it's safe to plant certain crops and vegetables, whether they're um, in-ground crops like carrots and potatoes or, uh, or crops that, that actually spring up. And, you know, you're trying to avoid the frost, obviously, but, um, you know, everything from spinach and, 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 and lettuce, but the below-ground crops in, in beets, carrots, potatoes, radishes, onions, etc. So four signs that tells you when it's safe to plant. Crocus, forsythia, daffodils, dandelions. All right. Hope that helps. Maybe you guys can use that. So for the last topic here, I've got uh, basically it's companion planting. And uh, this uh, this post I found is specific to the UK um, in that it's basically uh, cold hardiness zones 7 through 9. So this is going to apply to more of our northern states. Or, or no, I'm sorry, more of our southern states. Because I'm in zone 6. Um, and so is a large swath of the central part of the country going east to west. And... Uh, but this, this person posted this up here and, and noted that, you know, she was in the UK and then she is in zone, depending on certain parameters, she could be in, in zone eight or nine. Um, but she basically, she broke it down into, into three uh, sections. She's got pest control edible plants, pollinator attracting edible plants, and nitrogen fixing edible plants. And I just thought this was interesting. I'm sure it can be uh, amended or customized to your particular uh, cold hardiness zone. But she's got a number of things here. So as far as pest control goes, if you plant garlic and onions, that'll keep the snails and the aphids away. If you plant uh, sage, it'll keep slugs and carrot fly at bay. Chives will repel carrot fly and the Japanese beetle. Rosemary will ward off the cabbage moth, bean beetles, and the carrot fly. Basil protects tomatoes from flies and mosquitoes. Thyme deters cabbage worm. Marigolds will confuse the tomato hornworms and nematodes. Nasturtiums act as a trap for aphids. And lavender repels fleas and moths. So that's good. You can just plant some of these things and control some of your pest problem. You don't have to be putting chemicals out there um, to try and, and get rid of some of these things. As for attracting pollinators, basically you want things that flower. But her top eight or nine are lavender, which is to her a bee magnet. Borage, which attracts bees and beneficial insects. Thyme is loved by honeybees. Sage draws in nectar-seeking pollinators. Marjoram, bees and butterflies adore it. Rosemary attracts bees with its flowers. Chives, pollinators love this flower, or love the flowers of the chives. I always pluck them. I always pluck the chive flowers, and I shouldn't do that because it, it'll attract more pollinators if I leave that on my chives. I, I should not do that. I'm glad I found this list. 
Uh, fennel attracts hoverflies and bees, and calendula is a favorite among very beneficial insects. All right. Now, as for the third piece of the, her little puzzle here is nitrogen-fixing plants. So you can put in peas that will enrich the soil with nitrogen. Beans fix nitrogen, great for intercropping. Clover, a living mulch that fixes nitrogen. Clover, <clears throat> that, mm -mm -mm. that's a that's a cover crop, but it it tends to <clears throat> spread like. You don't want to plant mint or lemon balm or something like that. I mean, it just it just takes over and it goes everywhere and it's tough to get rid of. Um, alfalfa it has deep roots which fix the nitrogen and improve soil structure. Lentils add nitrogen and organic matter to the soil. Soybeans I I hate all things soy, but she says that they're great soil enrichers. Uh, vetch, I've never heard of, but it must be a UK thing. Uh, that is a cover crop that fixes nitrogen. Lupins, beautiful and beneficial for the soil. And fenugreek, fenugreek, F-E-N-U, Greek. It's a medicinal, medicinal and a nitrogen fixer. Fenugreek. Never heard of that one or vetch. So that's interesting. You learn something new every day. All right. Well, that's the that's episode 26 of the Kirshner Files. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. We covered a number of odd little disjointed topics, sort of. Uh, the Dutch oven thing kind of broke up the pattern, uh, but we had survival realty. We had gun shows. We had um, different methods for canning and what to can in, in a water bath versus a pressure canner. Obviously, we had the Dutch oven discussion. We had uh, nature signs that tells us when to plant certain crops. And now we've covered companion planting. And you can modify the companion planting uh, because, like I said, this is specific to the UK, uh, particularly cold hardiness zones 8 and 9, which is going to be mostly our southern U.S. Um, but it can be amended to work in your uh, cold hardiness zone. A lot of these things are going to work in zone six, which is where I am, uh, particularly the, you know, the pest control ones, because I, I, these are things that I plant all the time. Garlic and onion, sage, chives, rosemary, basil, thyme. I put marigolds in pots, and I put them around the garden, um, and, and that helps attract early, um, uh, early uh, pollinators to get them to let them know hey that we're about to be open for business uh, but it also uh, according to her helps confuse tomato hornworms and nematodes uh, and I also I plant a lot of lavender too so it repels fleas and moths so hey there you go all right well I hope you enjoyed the show we'll be back uh, this weekend with another episode of the Dave Kirshner lightning round where we will talk about the week that was and uh, we'll see where the potato puts us. Um, based off of my most recent episode, who knows? Are UN troops actually in the United States? Are UN vehicles and machines already being uh, stockpiled in Alvin, Texas? Who knows? But that's what I found online. Who are the Dems going to put up for their... Uh, uh, Democratic nominee for the presidential race. 
because it's not going to be the human Roomba. So join me over the weekend on the uh, Dave Kirshner lightning round, and we'll talk about all those things, I'm sure, and more. Uh, I spent a lot of time talking about the border in episode 163. Uh, it was very, very animated. So <laughs> that's just me. All right, uh, I'm out of here. We'll talk to you guys this weekend. So be good, stay safe, keep your head on a swivel. I'm out. Happy Hunger Games. And may the odds be ever in your favor.